Hey everybody, Matt Hedinger here to introduce our part two of our Steve Roystein interview on the Elector podcast. This episode, we go a little bit deeper into how powerful music is and how powerful community is. So sit back, light a cigar, and enjoy. As the Torciadores, a.k.a. the Cigar Rollers, quietly rolled their cigars, and the Despaliadoras, a.k.a. the Strippers, stripped the stems from the tobacco leaves, they were entertained, informed, inspired, and enlightened by literature and the daily news. So began the tradition of El Lector, the reader. This is the El Lector podcast, stories and cigars from the exiled South, we hope you'll enjoy it. Then um, I I don't want to skip over anything, so I, I do want to get to ya vienen llegando. That was the one we were talking about earlier, yeah, right? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but give us a, a more progression. What, what anything between that and uh, well, we we worked. I worked on pretty much every album that he did during those seven years from mm-hmm. Amandate on mm-hmm. until I finally kind of went out on my own and yeah. he. he uh, started doing the productions and in okay. with other folks um but there are a couple of standouts here and there um there's a song called yo soy un tipo típico okay um, yeah, yeah. which was one of the songs that really stretched the technology of the time and the ability to actually put together this popurri and just musically how do you fit you know hendrix and the rolling stones together mm-hmm. with right. like los matamoros and and you know and we did it. We got it done, mm. and and that was uh, there. There was an album called South Beach, mm. um, and Joe probably remembers more of the discography than I do. So if if you know know that I'm skipping over anything, I think the landmark album yeah, that's what I was looking for, is yeah. an album called Oxígeno. Oh my goodness! And yeah, so yeah. that album had Nuestro Día Ya Viene Llegando. Right. It had. A song called Oxígeno. Mm-hmm. It had a song called Medias Negras, Medias which Negras once again was a Spanish classic. Spanish yeah. song written by Joaquin Sabinas. Mm. And Willie, to his credit, took that song, which had been kind of like a weirdish 
Spanish arrangement of a pop rock something and nice version and he envisioned it as a salsa song yeah yeah and adjusted it and and uh that song was a hit yeah in fact i think that song might have done better than the original version i'm not sure and there's a song on that album titled mr don't touch that banana oh <laughs> and uh steve's voice you hear steve's voice in there what is it that you say steve well it's it's funny because we were in the studio and i i was already not scared to throw out an idea here and there and willie would pay attention and so we're there in the studio and i said there was kind of like an instrumental, like mambo break in the middle of the song. I said, what do you think of this, Willie? It would be funny if like we had somebody in the middle of the song, like as if he were the gringo. And everybody said, you mean like talking? And I go, <laughs> yeah, and said, that's a great idea. And I said, well, who can we get? And they all looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> And so I said, yo no saber, perdón, yo no saber, no sabía de banana, perdón, Mr. Chango, whatever it was that I said. And, and, Mr. Chango. And that's, you know, a, <laughs> what, what, I, what I hear from people who lived in Cuba way after that, and even though Willie's music has always, I don't know if it is still, but it was actually banned in Cuba. You couldn't listen to it. Yeah, you couldn't play yeah. it. In fact, I have some interesting stories about that. Um, but people would listen to the parties and they would laugh like crazy when that part came on and then they came they would end up here and say oh you're the guy oh my god you're the you're the gringo what a, what a great sign of being like acclimated and welcomed like when you're in a room and you're going where can we find a gringo yeah, yeah, yeah. like you're looking around like <laughs> <laughs> exactly wow so okay so you uh you 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 we're we're at the album Oxygeno and that that amazing song that's we just, iconic we just hit this year the 25th anniversary for that album um i'm not sure if they're going to do some sort of event mm. uh, for the album but it's certainly worthy of it yeah. it's uh i think i started to really hit my stride as an arranger producer musician with the salsa feel and especially fitting willie's personality mm -hmm. that's something i tried to kind of as a producer and arranger always make the artists sound their best that i didn't want to put my stamp on it i wanted them because it's their record and that that was that was the path that i chose i didn't yeah. i at the time intentionally avoided being an artist i didn't want to be an artist uh I liked the behind-the-scenes thing and being anonymous, and mm -hmm. I noticed that every time I would accompany, a, you know, a famous artist out to lunch, and we were, you know, like Willie, he could barely eat lunch because people would be, uh, can I get your autograph? You know, yeah. this was before cell phones were, you know, ubiquitous and, right. you know, smartphones with their cameras, but if someone had a camera, they would always, you know, and same when I was playing French horn playing with Burt Bacharach or Sheena Easton or whoever it was and the same thing they, they couldn't live in peace and I was like ah that's not the way I want to live right um, but that album um, Ya Viene Llegando which means they, they are, they are, how do you translate that they are, they are now coming they are, they are uh, no coming. Ya Viene Llegando is the time is, is, is upon us the it's full coming. title of the right, song right, right. is Nuestro Día Ya, ya Viene Llegando our day is our day. soon day upon us our day is soon upon us yeah so the song is a beautiful it's kind of in two parts um, it's a beautiful poetic uh, 
first-person imagery of the exile experience that Willie lived as a Pedro Pan, a Peter Pan kid, Mm -hmm. coming over as a kid, first without his parents, but then they came, and just getting used to living in a place where your culture is gone, your language is gone, um, you don't feel necessarily like your home, but getting acclimated to it. A lot of people here, not just Cubans, but exiles in general, Felt a real resonance with that, yeah, yeah. and then the the second part of the song is very upbeat, and it says, "But our day will come." Right, and uh, you know when the Cubans in Cuba and the Cubans everywhere can unite, and uh, and it's very it's a very upbeat, positive, uplifting song. Like I, I take off my hat, Willie is an inspired writer, and mm-hmm. that song, uh, I I had the honor. For the second time, the other night, uh, there was a, an event called Havana Wood that Paolo um, performed at. And Willie very generously showed up, and he sat in with us on a song. And I got to introduce him. And I said what I always say, that um, you know he's a man of principle and a great man. He was my mentor. He took a chance on me, and he's a great friend. And his music has changed the world. And that... Not only has he entertained millions of people, but that song literally changed the world. Um, And it really came home um, during the early 90s. Keep in mind, Willie's music was banned in Cuba. And during the time when the Baceros, the the rafters, were, uh, when they were... um, caught at sea they were either put at panama or in guantanamo and holding mm-hmm. until they could be processed to come to the states and um willie very generously went to panama and took the band by that time i was not with the band anymore and um you can see it on youtube just do a google search Negando panama mm. and um it's moving because there's a sea of rafters who yeah. just look like they left a place where they were starving and just look like they risked their lives and all that. They look like that because it was true. And the entire group of people are singing the song with him word for word. And you can hear Willie's voice choke up yeah. because I think that's when it really hit home the impact that his music had on the island and these people with tears pouring down their face singing the song it's one of the most moving things Mm. that you could imagine that music can do i tell my students at miami dade college all the time because i'm a professor there of music business music is powerful Mm. and don't ever forget it
I was going to say uh, that the, the, the reason I said, I always confuse it, and I say, ya vienen llegando, right? Because that was when the song came out, it was attributed to the rafters, and it was said, yeah, the, the, the Cubans are coming over here. And there was a, a singer, a, there is a Cuban singer, I forgot his name, you probably know who he is, he wrote a song called La Otra Orilla. You know this song? If you hear it, it'll make your skin crawl. It's, it sound, it's, it's, it's a song that speaks of the, uh, it's a, it was written in Cuba, I'll, I'll find the guy's name, but he, uh, it, it's about La Otra Orilla, the other shore, uh-huh. and he says, I've always heard of this other shore and since I was a child where my uncles, you know, his uncles had lived and, 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 and they see everything in color and we see everything in black and white. Uh-huh. And, and he, uh, he mentions Willie in, this, in the song. And, uh, and he says, uh, and he basically refers to yeah, the, the song Ya Viene Llegando. And he, says, and he says in the song, he says, careful with your optimism, like kind of responding to Willie. You never heard this song? No. It's a, it's a really interesting song. And 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 I and it was because of the the whole uh, balseros, the whole rafter, uh, all the rafters that were leaving the island, because he was that's what he was the the, the artist is lamenting, you know, Cubans leaving, and he's he kind of says in a jerk way, well, I'm 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 going to stay here because uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna risk staying here and you know and all this stuff, and it's like, man, you know what these people are risking crossing the Florida Straits, mm-hmm. crossing the Gulf, and and and, and you know, I mean, it's 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 ins- it's insane. Uh, so it, you know, it, it's something that 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 resonated so much with that time period. It had so much meaning, you know. And, and every time I heard that song come on the radio, I, w- I would cry, you know. Well, I would hear um, stories after the song came out. People would say, you know, uh, last week there was a couple out on at Malecon in Cuba, and I guess they had had a couple beers, and they had a guitar, and they were singing the song. And they got put in jail, and I said, for singing a song? Mm-hmm. I said, yes. In 93, my first trip to Cuba, uh, I visited the home of, of children of dissidents who were left behind by their parents, forcefully, mind you. Um, they were my age, and uh, the first day I was there, first full day, they cranked up that song, and I thought, are you nuts? And so the state security person, the CDR person, the watch person in every block, she peered, she, you know, she peeked into the house and they were like, get out of here. <laughs> and I was, I was blown away. And I remember telling Willie the story when I came back and I, I actually met him and I told him, man, you have no idea what it's like to hear that song in Cuba and what it means to people. And I think by then he, he had a good feel for that. He understood. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I think... You were saying power of music, you know. Um, my God, it, you know Matt wanted to be a black sax player because of Clarence <laughs> Clemens, right? And and to Cubans, it's like this was history, right? This was their history and their experience. And I'll say this about all those albums Steve worked on: that led to the modern Chilino sound. That was Chilino. That became the Chirino we all know and love. Um, I couldn't, you know, with a few exceptions, which we know, and I'm not mentioning any names. Um, most people couldn't name you a lot of Willie songs prior to Amando Day. I mean, you know, there, and there's some good stuff. Soy, right. But, but really, a lot of people's first encounter, at least my generation's first encounter, is in the Amando Day album. It's that arrangement. Um, and so 
uh, suddenly I embrace the song. The original recording was my mother's song. Yeah. Right? So um, it really changed the dynamic, you know. And um, I remember arguing in favor of Miami salsa as opposed to the New York Fania sound and, and telling folks it's um, it's different. It's just as good, but it's different. And mm-hmm. the Miami sound is forged by Carlos Oliva and Willy Chirino and Frankie Marcos and a whole group of folks. And I would add, certainly in that Mount Rushmore, Steve Roitstein, because um, they share a love of good American pop. Yeah. And you hear it in the music and you hear it in the melodies and you hear it in the hooks. Um, and that's just as powerful as the songs written in the 70s by the Fania guys. Because in both cases, they are reflecting their realities, right? Fania, yeah, and their New histories. York, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Fania was reflecting the hard, scrabble life of living in the snow in New York City, away from your island, whichever island it was. Um, but the sounds coming from Miami sounded really melodic and happy. But there was a lot more to it. Yeah. And I, I you know, I would venture to say that Steve Roitstein's name... Um, and he's a dear friend. We're like family. And, and I guess this is the first time I tell him, but I really think he is on that Mount Rushmore of people who forged. He didn't start the Miami sound, but boy, did he certainly augment it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I have one yeah. more Ya Viene Gando story. It's okay. a personal story. Um, as I mentioned earlier, a professor of music business at Miami-Dade College and one afternoon about seven years ago or so I w- was sitting in my office during my office hours and a young man came in 19 years old and he goes uh, hi my name is Camilo Perez um, do you mind if I speak in Spanish and I said no 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 problem so he goes usted no me conoce a mi pero yo conozco a usted you don't know me but I know you mm. He says, when I was a little kid, I was a prodigious musician in Cuba, and my parents and I lived in Santa Clara. And one New Year's Eve, everyone was kind of tipsy. And for whatever reason, I decided to go up on the balcony and start singing, Ya viene llegando, and the whole house started singing the song. The cops came and took them all to jail, including seven-year-old Camilo. And that night in jail, his dad, who was, uh, I guess, a lawyer. I don't know what a lawyer does in Cuba, but whatever they do, (laughs) he he did. He's sitting there in jail with his kid. And he said, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. I've had it. Wow. Any, Any place that would throw my little kid's son into jail for singing a song, I can't sustain my life here. So they went through the process of applying. Camilo's mom is a physician. They wouldn't let her come. Camilo's dad and Camilo came to the United States. They lived in whatever, in some efficiency or something for a while. Two or three years later, they allowed his mom to come. They, Camilo now has a younger sister. Camilo came to Miami-Dade. He was a straight-A student, a fantastic pianist and singer and composer. And now Camilo is an active musician, very much in demand. And talk about coming for full circle. A song that I helped create yeah. was the impetus for a family to decide to leave the, con- the only country they've known 
to start a new life. And he it's came powerful. and studied wow. at Miami Dade College. And if you ever hear this, Camilo, te quiero mucho. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. And, and people would find it hard to believe that you would be th- a whole family would be thrown in prison for singing a song. But that's the reality of, of Cuba. Yeah, I sure hope that changes soon. Um, yeah. Whatever happens, I think, you know, some of the things that, uh, that we're always talking about, um, the freedom of expression and the freedom to protest peacefully, I think these are important things yeah. of any society that's sustainable. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak freely here and probably out of turn, but they, they won't understand me anyways in Cuba. But uh, R- my daughter, Racky, has the name of that song, that singer that I was... Uh, Frank Delgado. Frank Delgado. Oh, yeah, yeah. Frank Delgado. He's, a, he's an amazing musician. Very good musician. Um, and he yes. wrote that song, La Otra Orilla. But, and and he's, he's known as like the bad boy, right? Like, oh, he's, he, he's like walking the edge with yeah. the Cuban government. But he's... he's at the end of the day, he's he's playing to the crowd over there. You know, he's 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 uh, he's commiserating with them to some degree because he's yeah. he's just playing the, playing his role because he has to in order and and because he lives comfortably there and you know relatively speaking. You know, I have two questions about that song. First of all, Raki, have you you've heard that song? Maybe once or twice, but yeah. I encourage you to hear it because it's uh it's it's biographical but it's historical it's like a historical document um and i remember my mother saying to me in 94 was it when it came out or 93 or 92 92 and she said have you heard a new chirino song i was a little put off that my mom had the lead on this so i was like well, what are you talking about chirino get out you how do you know that so i was a little and so that New Year's Eve, Chirino played, and you were probably playing with him at Bayfront for yep. New Year's Eve. And uh, of course, they played the song. I was, I, I couldn't move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could not move. That's how impactful that song was. I was like, what in the world is this? Immediately the next day, I had to get that song, mm. you know, but it was January 1st, everything was closed, so I had to wait a few days. <laughs> Um, and my, my other question is, Steve, when you guys were, I'm assuming you recorded that at the South Beach studio? Um, no, that, I believe that was recorded at International Sound. Oh, International Sound. Many a record. Home of the hit. Home of the hit. Um, uh, when you guys were recording this, and even you as the gringo, you had to know there was something special to this song, right? I always have my opinions, uh, you know. I and yeah, the, that song had something special. And what grabbed me about it um, is just the 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 whole first part of the song. Um, I don't think Willie was born with a great instrument of a voice. You know, he's not, um, you know, Alberto Santa Rosa or or El Canario as far as like having that trumpet of a voice that that you know certain people have pero transmite he transmits emotion when he sings and he that was his story so you can feel it in the way that he sings those verses and you know joe pointed out something very interesting to me several years ago because joe knows a lot more music than i do and he knows the salsa world very well and he observed something that Willie um, probably 
could have been a bigger star if he had just shut up about the politics. Mm. Mm. He could have been a big star with Cubans anyway and sung happy Cuban songs, yeah. non-political. And everyone else in Latin America, a lot of people who maybe, for whatever reason, didn't have that disdain for the Cuban government, maybe would have embraced him more. Mm-hmm. And he... Um, that's pure speculation. We'll never know because in my mind, thankfully, Willie was real and he was true to himself yeah. and he still is to this day. Um, and I, I respect that immensely for mm. anyone, even if I don't agree with their politics. But if you're singing what you believe, go for it. Yeah. Matt, have you heard a song? No, I haven't. But I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, and I really hope at some point this storytelling hour plus... Uh. is heard more broadly the whole podcast because out north of Orlando people don't know the struggle they don't know the story the the power of children being arrested for a song you know it's it's not known and it's not um, nobody cares about it nobody really knows What's going on with Cuba or what has been going on with Cuba other than a Shea t-shirt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and it, because we're kind of in the 90s now. It just kind of, One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, it was there's a new movie coming out. And it's the Buena Vista Social Club Adios. Yeah. It's the 20-year. Okay. It's a, it's a new documentary following up with the band. And I think that, you know, so that was 1997. Right. That, that the first movie came out. And that was really the first introduction to the world. Well, in 50 years, yeah. 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 Of, out, you know, outside of this community to Cuban music. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of curious, what was your thoughts on the original? Well, to me, anything that promotes Cuban music is good. Um, you know, Joe and I debate a lot, uh, and I'm not a big fan of the twangy Ry Cooter guitar interjections here and there. I'm a little. Bit, I am. <laughs> I'm a little. I'm a little bit of a purist, but I have to uh, really give Ry Cooter his props. It was not something that came without a cost to him, um, and this is something that the world was ready for. And what you're hearing there is classic great Cuban music mm-hmm. and it, it had been like you said kept a secret until that time yeah. I was and a freshman in college and everybody was listening to it what, what was your take when you heard it I mean these rhythms were probably foreign to you but what did you take away from the music it was a precursor to what I would experience moving down here it was a prelude uh, I didn't get it I listened to it I enjoyed it but it wasn't my song. It was I, I didn't know the struggle, the pain, the, you know. Um, well, I hate to break it to you now, but now it is your song. You know, funny, funny enough that most of us Cuban-Americans, and Marcos can chime in on this, um, we've grown up, we're really American Cubans, right? Right. We say right. Cuban-Americans, but it's, we're really American Cubans. Um, and we have a doozy of a time keeping up and and marcos and i talk about it all the time about keeping enough of our cubanity to even you know respectfully call ourselves cuban americans or american cubans but um what's interesting to me 
and and just as powerful are Americans and other folks who and I call I use the term Miamians a lot. Right. And Miamians doesn't really mean that you were born here or spent your whole life here. It's just you have an affinity for the place. Right. And I mean, you know, when Fidel Castro died, one of the first people I talked to was Steve, right? I'd love to go to Cuba with Steve. Like, Steve is part of my family, and right. he's as Cuban in my mind as, you know, Pepe next door, right? Um, and I know it's part of Steve's DNA now, just like right. it will be part of your DNA, because once we brush up with each other and get involved and lives intertwine, and you learn about people, um, you realize that uh, you, you know the story. And I think for Cubans... Um, and it's one of the things that I, I'm sorry that I don't see enough of um, with the newer generations that arrive, and, and you can certainly jump in on this one. You know, we came here, talking about Cubans that came in the 60s, 70s, and even the Mario Boatlift, and we kept our flavor, but we integrated to American life, and we, we met our American neighbors, and we shared and sometimes it was 90% of the time it was a fabulous experience. Sometimes it wasn't, but that's the way things were done there. I think now because there's so many layers of Latinos and Cubans in Miami, some of the new arrivals don't have that opportunity. Oh, yeah. And I think that was a blessing in my life. And I have friends and who I consider family who I can't imagine my life without, who are non-Cubans, who are Americans, who are just Miamians. Um, and Marcos and I, you know, we talk about we have more in common. You know, us four have more in common. You know, right. we talk about Clarence Clemens than a guy who arrives from Cuba yesterday, right? Like, what am I, you know, yeah, okay, hey, Cuban guy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you and I can talk music all day long. Or movies. Or movies, right? Um, which I can't do with that guy. Right. Right? And that's because, you know, we came here and we melded into the fabric of, of America, which is, that's the beauty of America, right? That's what makes us the greatest country and the strongest country. It's in our diversity and our ability to share stories and have the freedom to share stories and to consider ourselves whatever we want to consider ourselves. I mean, here's Raki. Raki, what are you? What uh, am I? I mean, how old are you? I mean, <laughs> you mean how old or what, what? background? Oh, what? what? What do you consider yourself? Ethnically. Ethnically? I'm an American with a Cuban-American father and a Chilean mother. Right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, I've traveled to Europe several times. I've been in Latin America. I've been around the world pretty much, um, many places. You don't, that, that's not as readily on the surface everywhere else. Right. Right? And how old are you, Raggy? 18. Raggy's 18 years old. And she's this beautiful mix of everything. And yet she's profoundly American, right? Yeah, exactly. And she, we, we call her our Chalubin. Uh, actually, jo- Joshua and Like Raggy a Chalupa kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a Chalupa, but Chalubin. And, and, but she'll tell you, and with all due respect to the Chilean culture, because it's a beautiful culture, but she being living here in Miami and, and being around me, super Cuban that I am, because of my parents. And all the other Cubans in Miami. Yeah, well, most of the Cubans are maybe. Yeah, uh, there's she. She has a, a strong affinity to to her for her Cuban roots because that's that's what resonates for her, you know, the most because of the place where she lives, 
And I remember, um, I remember when uh, Ioanni Sanchez, who's a, a Cuban dissident journalist, uh, writer who lives in Cuba, came here to visit. The, the one thing I took away from what she she said a lot of things, um, uh, and you know whatever her her inten intentions were, I, don't, I, I you know I'm not going to go into that right now. It's fine. I I respect her. She she said that when she came to Miami, she found and she's she's a Cuban from Cuba. As she said, when she came to Miami, she was so taken aback by how, how, how we held on to the Cuban culture here almost more than they did in Cuba. Hmm. Um, and and it, it, was, it, it was in everything, even in the music that we listened to. We were listening to, you know, we listened. My, my, my repertoire of Cuban music is, you know, certainly Buena Vista is, is, is on the list, you know, because that, that album is classic. And that, and that was produced in Cuba, correct? Mm -hmm. You know, so there, there, there you go. That's, but it's still, it's amazing music. But I, I'll listen to Benny Moray. I'll listen to a Trio Matamoros. Uh, I'll listen to uh, uh, River, Orquesta Riverside, right? Uh, these are the ones that, these, this was in the big band era, and I'm listening to this stuff all the time. Right, right. My son and my daughter hear this music all the time. You know, with, with uh, apologies to Willie, I, 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 for some reason, I, I, I guess I didn't expose Raggy to Yavien and Llegando as much as I should have because I, I, that, that is an amazing song. I got to play it for you. Uh, but but that, that, it's that, that being steeped in Cuban culture all my life, it's, it's just, it's, it, it is a, a huge part of who I am. Well, and you know, so my mom, the single mom, introduced me to great music. You know, as a kid going to the, to Grant Park and hearing BB King sing, right? And that's one of the great. And this is what you and I were talking about, Joe. The joy of introducing great music to my daughter. This is the story I wanted to tell you, Steve. So we're listen. We listen to Apollo around the house. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I'm explaining to my daughter, who's nine. This is Cuban Afro funk. So last week my in-laws were in town. Philly, as white as you can get. You know, live in Annapolis. They grew up in Philly. They live in Annapolis. And we're going to Casa Cuba for dinner in South Miami. Yeah. My, probably my favorite Cuban restaurant. And so we get into the car and I put in Paolo, right? And my, my little nine-year-old announces to my in-laws, oh, yeah, Pop-Up, this is Cuban Afro-funk. You need to listen to this. <laughs> I was so proud. I was so that proud. That is awesome. But, is you know, good. you talk about, you asked me what was my impression of Buena Vista. And, and this goes back to the bigger scope of what we were talking about is if there's anything that transcends language, transcends experience, it's music, right? You can, yep. I don't understand a word from that album, or Paolo for that matter, but I feel it. You know what I mean? And that's why we, you know, it, it resonates. It's like a tuning fork that hits in our heart, mm -hmm. whatever the music is. That's part of the power of it. Um, I think it's very interesting that we're having this conversation of the preservation of culture in diaspora. And um, I had a very short conversation with our friend Ernesto Pichardo um, mm. about the Yoruba culture and the, um, what people commonly know as Santeria, the, mm -hmm. the Lukumi religion, yes, yes. and how possibly the religion and its culture were preserved better in Cuba than it was in Nigeria mm -hmm. uh, because it was dri driven underground mm -hmm. and because of this need to keep one's culture. 
And I've noticed it with a lot of my Cuban friends who, when they were in Cuba, eh, yeah, Cuban music, it's okay. Cuba, it's, it's all right. This is where I live. And then when they got here, yeah. they were like, oh, this is something I miss. And yeah. they made up for it here. And now listen to more Cuban music, eat more Cuban food. <laughs> and... And the nostalgia acts aspect of it and the, the yearning for what maybe you could say they took for granted. Um, and, and I think um, a lot of what we do and some of the other bands local here, like the Spam All-Stars mm -hmm. and other bands that kind of mix stuff up, speaks to a yearning and nostalgia for something that people only know mostly through their parents and their grandparents. Mm. And um, to me, that's a beautiful yeah. Uh, aspect of what we do with Paolo. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm going to get to Paolo now, but I wanted to say something, go back to Buena Vista, because I have a story about that. Uh, so Buena Vista Social Club comes out in 1997. My grandmother um, is still, uh, both of my grandmothers are still with us, but uh, my, my mom's mom um, is, she's totally, she's not, She's she's elderly already. She's not really listening to the newest album that's come out, you know, or anything like that. So she, um, I don't she, listen to the newest album. That she comes hears, <laughs> she hears me playing this CD. Which, by the way, I'm gonna stir the pot a little bit here, Joe, because you know you know what this you know what I'm about to say. Buena Vista Social Club comes out, and in Miami, we 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 almost tell me if I'm wrong. We almost couldn't listen to it because it, it didn't get airplay here, and and it wasn't a big thing here right. because it was from Cuba, right. So it was almost like the same thing. Like it was like like a like a well, we're not going to listen to that here. But everybody was listening to it in their homes because it was it was so amazing. So am I uh, am I am I right with that, Joe? Yeah, and I have a postscript to that. Yeah, yeah. So so um, so my grandmother hears the music playing and she hears Chan Chang, which is the first song on the album, which is freaking beautiful. And and she says, and she starts singing it. And I go, I go, and I asked her, I said, I said, when, because I knew this was an old Cuban song. I asked her, uh, Meme, we called her, I go, Meme, what, when, when did this song, when did you hear this song? And she said, I was a child when I heard this song. And then she heard, uh, what's the other one, El Cuarto de Tula, and she goes, oh, that's a nasty song. Because <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's a, it, was a, it was a very, uh, it was a, there was a lot of innuendo in there and stuff, so it was, uh, it was, it was very, you know, illicit for her to hear. She was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that song. Uh, that's that's one that that was that was you know one of the naughty ones." Yeah. <laughs> two years after, uh, two years after Buena Vista came out, I was uh, shooting a film about a pretty well-known Cuban singer named Celia Cruz. Ah, pretty well-known. Kind of well-known. You uh, may have heard of her. <laughs> yeah, you may have heard of her. And uh, we were sitting around one day, and. Um, you know, some of the funnest conversations I had with Sally obviously weren't on camera, unfortunately. Um, and I said, I just asked her out of curiosity, like, "So, what do you think of it?" And she said, "Wow, what a great album! What a great sound!" And she says, "But you know, a lot of those musicians were around in Cuba mm -hmm. um, when I was around, and I know all of them. Um, they were very good musicians. They were generally, you know, played in people's bands." And then I started mentioning a few. <laughs> I mentioned Omara Portuondo, the female yeah. vocalist. Mm -hmm. I said, what about Omara? And she says, hi, Omarita. 
What a beautiful voice. And gosh, what a commie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did she say Nyangara? Tremendo no, Nyangara? she said, Que comunista. Que comunista. Um, <laughs> and, right. And, and, you know, for my parents and my grandparents' generation, our grandparents and parents, they took it in differently, right? And understandably so. Right. Their experience was far more dramatic than ours was. You know, Marcos mm-hmm. and I grew up in Miami. Again, we're American Cubans. To them, it's once again bringing up a very painful past, right? right. And because these are old songs, beautifully played. However, I'll say this about Buena Vista. There's something about that album. This is why I like cooter's twang right because it, it makes it almost mythological oh, kind of yeah. like uh, 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 just cuba forever right and talk about music transcending politics it's like there wasn't the most staunch anti-castro cuban couldn't tell you that he hasn't heard that album and liked it mm-hmm. and just like cubans in cuba couldn't tell you they haven't listened to chilino songs and like them and so that's the beauty and also the hope for the future mm-hmm. that maybe we all learn a little bit from that experience and and move forward into the future into a yes. better future and do away with some of the hate and and um and think about generations to come right yeah yeah i have a question about for the three of you is some of the issue with the older generation and that that album or cuban cigars or anything is it an issue of disloyalty? Like if we if we engage with this, if we if we partake of this, we sanction. Yeah, and then it gets political, and you know, it's huh. it's it's obviously in a gargantuan smaller scale, but it's how an older Jewish person still probably feels about Volkswagen or right, about right, some of the right. companies Mercedes Benz. It's hard to shake that. Right. And clearly, I, I hope, some of those people, uh, nationalist, socialist mindset, aren't still heading those companies. I'm, I hope, and I hope I'm right in saying this, that, that that's not the case. But go tell that to the child of a Holocaust survivor. Right. It's still kind of... It's an open there. wound. It's an open right. wound, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it, I, that's the world we grew up in. You know, it's like we we're not. In fact, I mean, even it even came down to, to family. You know, when I when I went back for the first time in two thousand nine, I met relatives that I didn't even know existed because my family never talked about them. Mm-hmm. They just didn't mention them. And it wasn't. It, it was. It was. Oh yeah, that's my first cousin. That's that. And then my dad started telling me stories. And I don't think it was. It, it, that there was no ill will in, in not mentioning them. It just hurt to yeah. talk about it. You know, because they had they had to walk away. They had to leave it all behind. Yeah. And it's funny because since I'm not Cuban, uh, I can't speak from personal experience. And I hear, you know, I know Latinos from all over the world, and I know some people who live in Cuba, and I know some people who are exiles, and. Um, I understand both both sides of it. Um, you know, uh, on the one hand, it's you know it's understandable why people would say let's build a bridge, let's bygones be bygones, let's look to the future. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to deal with, like Joe said, when your family was personally affected by yeah. it. So I understand people who 
just won't give it up because yeah. you can't um, if you were really personally affected. But And I also understand people saying, you know, all right, well, there's nothing we can do about the past. Let's try and see if we can somehow bridge. I, I understand both sides, and I really don't know if there's a really right side or a wrong side. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there is. I just think it's it depends on people's own personal experience. Yeah, yeah. Would there be such a need, such a, such a I don't want to use the word market, for this great heritage if Cuba wasn't a place almost frozen in time? Man, Cuban music, Cuban food, Cuban dance, Cuban culture has been through five or six huge worldwide waves since the 1920s. Um, it, it's, I, I just think there's that little island has something magical about it, and it's always attracted the fascination of the entire world. So I, I think maybe the forbidden fruit aspect of it is, you know, makes it maybe makes it a little more attractive, but I don't think it ever needed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's your, that's your tagline right there. Yeah. How did you say that little Island has so much magic? Yeah. Yeah. The magic Island. Yeah. That's one thing I hated when I left here is like, you can get Thai food anywhere. <laughs> Try to find a good black beans and rice. Yeah. <laughs> anywhere else. Yeah. Anywhere yeah. else. Yeah. So, so Steve, so, so you developed the Palo Sound. Yes, I did. In fact, the, the evolution from where we were talking about with me working with Chirino um, to Palo is a little bit long, and I'll try and give you the short version. Um, one of the great things about working with Willie was that I got to start from the success we had there working with other really well-known Latin artists. Um, I got lucky, and I... Um, did some work with Ricardo Montaner, um, a pop singer from Venezuela. And, um, I'm making the lighter sound. And, of some and we had some really good success, and I kind of hit the ball out of the park on my first song that I ever wrote with Ricardo, a number one song. And so that started really my career as a, as a songwriter and producer in the Latin market. I got to work with Celia Cruz quite a few times. Um, we did a lot of successful songs together and um, some of the people I've worked with include some of my musical heroes like uh, Cheo Feliciano oh, wow. uh, Tito Puente mm. uh, Oscar che- de Leon wow. and and uh, some American stuff too um, but what started to like make me start thinking about becoming an artist was the fact that major record companies tend to follow a formula and I, it was never a goal of mine to copy anyone i i kind of had my approach and i liked the way i did stuff and i liked enjoying things but um they the latin record companies were always looking for a formula oh well you did this song can you give me another one of those or can the funniest one was everyone always said well we're looking for the next celia cruz and I would tell everybody at the They're time, never going to find her. Yeah, yeah. It's like, forget that. Um, God broke the mold when he made her. Yeah. And I said, there are a lot of other singers out there, and we can work on that. But um, I was a little, just the entire music business in general uh, tends to look at what succeeded and try and repeat the formula. And that's not what I'm into. So one, once I started thinking about becoming an artist and forming a band... I spent a long time 
thinking about it, planning it. And it was about a year and a half or two years that I was really sort of investigating, studying, thinking the you know how I would want to do it and what the music would be like. Mm. And um, I looked back at artists that I loved, like La Gran Combo de Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the like Allegra All Stars records with oh Ka- with, yeah, with Caco oh, and and, and um, Charlie Palmieri and and uh, I, I said you know I want my band to be fun and uplifting. Uh, so I said, okay, no sad songs, no boleros, no unrequited love songs, no cortavena, no vein cutters, just, you know, <laughs> cutters. mostly party music and uplifting and mostly danceable stuff. Uh, and I want to combine my two favorite kinds of music, funk and Cuban music. Mm. So when I saw the Spam All-Stars, um, I was helping some friends promote this Fuacata event in 2002. And when I saw how that little club, Oikomoyer, just lit up mm-hmm. and it became the go-to kind of semi-underground, but then it really wasn't underground after a while, event in all of South Florida, I realized there might be a real audience for something similar to that. And that was that was my real final push to convince myself that yeah, I'm going to do my own band. So I started putting together some rough stuff. Um, and when I met Leslie Cartaya, uh, we became friends. And eventually it dawned on me, hey, do you want to sing in this band that I'm thinking about forming? And she goes, oh, I'll give it a try. <laughs> sure. And um, I knew she had uh, an incredible voice. She's a great musician, not just a singer. Um, and she had this undefinable quality called charisma mm. that I noticed from the very first time I ever saw her perform. Mm. And um, we started writing songs together, and we had instant chemistry as songwriters from the beginning. We wrote Lengua Larga together, and we wrote uh, some other songs that we still do, and they're still very popular. And when Spam All-Stars left Oikomoyer, we almost were ready and the owners took a chance on us and gave us a gig. And we went in there, and that was our first gig in 2003. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so um, what's, what's your, um, the, the song you're most proud of? For the, that Actually, how many albums have you had already? We've, uh, our third album came out almost a year ago. Okay. And th- uh, the first album was called This Is Afro-Cuban Funk, and that's something right. that we recorded over several years. It came mm-hmm. out in 2009. And so that was six years after we started. The first year or two, we were kind of still finding our sound Mm -hmm. because it was really sort of experimental. We didn't go into it and say, we're going to follow the salsa formula or anything like that. So we kind of figured it out after, thankfully, Fabio Diaz-Villela, the owner of Oikomoyer, really gave us a a chance and um, helped us, you know, a lot develop during that first year. And then all the other venues in town um, did it as well you know took a chance on a band that didn't even really have a format and um so when we came out with that first album it received very good acceptance what happened after that was people would hear the record either living in another country or living in miami they'd come to our shows and they'd say you know something weird happened to me with you guys 
you sound better live than you do on your record. <laughs> mm. So then I started thinking about doing a live album, and Palo Live was recording at our, at our 10-year anniversary show at PAX, right. a place that lamentably has closed since then. And that was a real home for us. We were there every month, and Roxanne Scalia, the great music curator and loving uh, owner of that place, gave us the third Friday of every month. She said, do whatever you want, nice. which was incredible. So we would just throw a different party every month, and we started to really develop a much stronger following around that time. Mm. And that album uh, was recorded live that night, and we filmed the whole thing. And some of that became part of this film, Miami Bohem, which Joe, mm -hmm. sitting in front of me, directed along with our Great friend. film, yes. uh, Thank you. Our friend Ralph Gonzalez co-directed. So that was part of that documentary film, which was featuring kind of like this, what we call the Latin fusion movement. Mm -hmm. of six bands in Miami, including Palo, Spam All-Stars, Locos Por Juana, uh, Elastic Bond, and who else? Who Suenalo. Suenalo. Yeah. And yeah, so... Yeah, um, I paid attention. Yeah. <laughs> and so that album actually, through some miracle that I'll never understand, got nominated for a Latin Grammy and a Grammy. Mm. And that helped people, fans, and the industry start paying a little more attention because now we were we were sanctioned yeah. uh, by the industry. And it was, it was an incredible thing. And um, after that, we started touring a little bit more and uh, getting better quality gigs and getting a lot more fans consistently to show up to our, to our shows. So that, that helped a lot. And, uh, yeah, like you guys did a show in, in Belgium? Yeah, we toured Europe last yeah. summer. Uh, we did Belgium, Luxem Luxembourg, um, the Netherlands, and France. Wow, so the Danish dig your music? They dig Afro-Cuban funk? It's amazing, man. We didn't really know that Europe was such a great market for what we do. And uh, the proof, the real life-changing life experience... Uh, my neighbor Jan is uh, European and he's he, I call him my consigliere because he's a brilliant guy and he's very worldly and very well read and a very successful businessman he even managed a couple bands in the 70s okay. um, and Jan told me before we went to Europe he said you're going to mark the history of Palo before Europe and after Europe he was right because when we played the Tempo Latino Festival which is one of the biggest salsa festivals in the world. Um, the DJs, before we left, they were telling me, you know, you guys have fans here. You just maybe don't realize it. And when you go on our website or you go on YouTube and you look for um, the video, you can see it's like the crowd. We were opening for the biggest Cuban band in the world, which is called La Habana de Primera, mm -hmm. Timba, and they're great. They were the headliner. The crowd wouldn't let us leave the stage. <laughs> That's and, amazing. And it was like, wow. Uh, it was really kind of like an out-of-body experience mm. because we didn't expect that. So, yeah, our music seems to travel very well. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So, so I asked earlier, what's, what's, uh, what's a standout Paolo song? And so if somebody wants to hear Paolo for the first time, what, what do you recommend? The public... Uh, decides uh, so I you know I have songs that I think are special and mm -hmm. some of those right now in the Spotify top five Dale the, the 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 Dale Palo is a great uh, is a great fun song but that 
is not in the top five of Spotify. You sing that one in the shower? <laughs> yes, that's what I was. We need to video of that, I think. <laughs> you know, head up. No, not, nothing. You know, yeah. questionable. Comment from the Chaluba. Yes, yeah. the Chalubin. The Chalubin. Yeah, the last right. time I looked at Spotify, Spotify shows um, the most popular songs now, and it also shows the cumulative plays. So right now, Al Monte. Oh is, yeah, is the I number one. Yeah. I think Lengua Larga is number two. La Vanabuena was number three. Agua para los Santos is number four, and I believe uh, Pachango is number five. Well, so Camino con los Codos isn't. In the it's top one five. of the popular, okay. but uh, yeah. those are the top five okay. most popular right now on Spotify. Okay. I don't want to sound like I'm ordering food in a Cuban restaurant, but number two is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because that was one of the first songs that Leslie and I wrote together. And I always had a good feeling about that song. I knew it needed to be the first song on that first album, and I knew we needed to do a video of that song. And La Habana Buena was also one of the first ones, and I guess I was right, because people who are looking on Spotify, they're, they don't care what I think. Yeah. They just yeah. play the songs that they like. Right. Yeah. So so, where where can people find, so Spotify they can find your music? Uh, yeah. what, do you have a website? Yeah, you, we you, have a, you have a strong social media presence. Well, we work hard at it, yeah. and um, the yeah the website is gopalo.com and all the stuff, all the social media stuff is all gopalo. So YouTube, just look for gopalo or Facebook. Uh, yeah, yeah. So and it's Palo with an exclamation point. If you're yeah. just looking for that on Spotify and you're searching, yeah. search for P-A-L-O with the exclamation point. It'll help you find it because there are a lot yeah, of bands yeah. that have the name. Palo. Yeah. And, there are a lot of bands that yeah, have Palo yeah. in the name exactly, that, that yeah. are more famous than we are. Yeah. Well, you guys are definitely uh, on, on our favorite list for sure because, we, we, as you can tell from Racky, we listen to it here. Thanks. Well, yeah, thanks yeah, for yeah, indoctrinating the oh, yeah, yeah, next yeah. generation. <laughs> All right. Well, Steve, thanks for coming. here. It's been a privilege Thank to have you. you here at my house. I, I appreciate thanks. it. Thanks. It's been great the and, food uh, was awesome the cigar was great the conversation wonderful the company excellent excellent do you have any upcoming shows we do if you just uh where can either, people hear you? yeah because you're you're actually playing regularly at one particular place right now right yeah. we we have a couple of gigs right now that are steady we have uh, our monthly residency at ball and chain right. in little havana so just look for the date because it's once a month but it's not always the same week ball and chain is a great place to go and check out live music are we still recording? Yes, we are. And um, we just started something at the Surf Comer, um, the first and third uh, Saturdays in the afternoon, 5 to 9, Surf Comer Hotel in South Beach. And it's a great party. It's like a backyard beach bash is what they call it. If you go on our website, you can download our music for free. So, um, you Sweet. know, that's a nice little nice thing you don't have to like use up your data and yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you steve again once again uh matt thank you anything guys. else you'd like to say uh, to close this I, out i just think this is what makes this project great is what a great story thank you. thank you so much for sharing it with us and fun to be here Great company. Joe, thank you for being here with us. What Any time next thoughts? week? The steaks? Next week yeah. we'll have steak again. No, yeah. next week I'm not sure, but we'll, we'll, next time we meet, you'll well, definitely be invited. certainly. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. dive into the leftovers right now. Yeah, yeah. viene <laughs> llegando. Yes. Your homework is well, I, th I think what we need to do is we need to have a... Fandango. <laughs> a Spotify. I don't know what that word means, by the way, but That's it sounds fine. great. It sounds oh, yes. fantastical. Yes. I think we need to have a Spotify playlist... For the show. 
Oh, I think that's a great as idea. As we talk yeah. about music, you yeah. can go to the, the El Lector, which by the time this airs should be up and running. Yeah. So you can listen to all these great songs that we've I talked about. That Racky's going to help us with that. All right. That's, that's a great idea. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Yeah. And we'll uh, see you next time. Y cuya le te va a dar la yiquín.